Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. An abortion bill fails in the Senate. One key Democrat voting against moving it forward amid uncertainty over the future of abortion. The Republican frontrunner in the race for Pennsylvania governor is facing a legal challenge. A Democratic candidate is trying to disqualify him for participating in the January 6th Capitol breach. Is there a conflict of interest over royalty payments from Big Pharma to Dr. Fauci? The head of the National Institutes of Health says it appears that way. A rapidly growing wildfire in Southern California has triggered mandatory evacuations. The flames burned more than 200 acres and destroyed about 20 homes in an upscale neighborhood. The Senate has shot down an abortion bill. The two sides disagree on what it's actually about. This, as the Supreme Court may overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling, NTD's Jessica Beatty reports. The motion is not agreed to. In a 49 to 51 vote, the Senate shut down a Democrat bill Wednesday to enshrine Roe v. Wade abortion access as federal law. Here's Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's response. Vote, elect more pro-choice Democrats if you want to protect a woman's freedom and right to choose. Elect more MAGA Republicans if you want to see a nationwide ban on abortion. All 50 Republicans voted to block the bill. They were joined by one Democrat, Senator Joe Manchin. Manchin said the bill goes far beyond the bounds of Roe versus Wade. It is not Roe v. Wade codification. It's an expansion. It wipes 500, 500 state laws off the books. It expands abortion. It's the abortion Republican Senator Act. John Cornyn agreed, calling it the Abortion on Demand without Act without restrictions or limitations. It promotes abortion at a scale far beyond Roe versus Wade and far beyond what the vast majority of the American people are comfortable with. The vote comes after a Supreme Court draft opinion was leaked earlier this month. It suggests that the court is planning to overturn Roe versus Wade. Under the 1973 standard, states cannot restrict abortion in the first trimester, ruling that a mother's right to privacy outweighs state interest in protecting life. It overturned existing abortion laws in many states. Pro-life advocates have fought to return the power to the states. Since the leak, protesters have demonstrated in front of the homes of conservative justices. One group published a Google map with the locations. Google later took it down. According to a new poll, nearly 76% of Americans disapprove of publishing the justices' home addresses and protesting in front of their homes. Federal law states that picketing or parading to influence judges can be punished with up to a year in prison. The DOJ hasn't announced what it'll do in response to the protests yet. But Attorney General Merrick Garland has directed the U.S. Marshal Service to help make sure the justices are safe. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The Supreme Court is meeting today for the first time since the leak of a draft opinion that could lead to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. The justices are expected to discuss outstanding cases and pending petitions. They're also likely to talk about the breakdown of the high court's confidential operations. Chief Justice John Roberts has ordered an internal investigation into the matter. A pro-life policy group is hiring armed security after an attempted arson on Sunday. Police say a Molotov cocktail was thrown through the office's window, along with a separate fire being set. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg reports. 
I encourage you to be careful because there's glass everywhere as we enter here. Wisconsin Family Action, a pro-life organization in Madison, Wisconsin, had its office vandalized in an attempted arson on Sunday. We no longer feel completely secure in our workplace. Police say a Molotov cocktail was thrown through the window. When the office didn't ignite, a separate fire was set. Some of the media sources have said fire broke out. No, fire did not break out in our office. Fire was intentionally set. That's why we're using the word arson. Not my word. It was from the fire department. Graffiti was spray painted outside the building, threatening, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. If we go silent now and we go away because they've tried to bully and intimidate us in very overt ways, we've just waved the white flag. They will see us as vulnerable and fearful. And this will not be the end of the attacks. The policy group is hiring armed security after the attempted arson. Staff members say they won't change their stance against abortion and will continue working. Abortion is a destruction, purposeful destruction, of this newly formed human life. The people who promote abortion are, are actually promoting the killing of the unborn. A radical pro-abortion group called Jane's Revenge reportedly claimed credit for the attack in a statement sent to Bellingcat reporter Robert Evans. The statement says the attack was a warning and that members of Jane's Revenge are all across the U.S. The statement vows future attacks if pro-life clinics and groups are not disbanded within the next 30 days. FBI agents are working with local law enforcement to investigate. Several pro-life organizations and pregnancy centers have been targeted following a U.S. Supreme Court draft document being leaked last week. The draft suggests the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion nationwide will soon be overturned. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A Democratic candidate running for state Senate in Pennsylvania is trying to disqualify the leading Republican candidate in the gubernatorial race. He says the Republican candidate participated in insurrection because of his involvement in the January 6th Capitol breach. Here are the details. Democratic Pennsylvania State Senate candidate Calvin Clements filed a lawsuit in a U.S. District Court on Tuesday. He is challenging Republican State Senator Doug Mastriano's eligibility to run for governor. Clements told the Epic Times in an email that the voters need to know who this guy is and what he had done. He is arguing that Mastriano violated the 14th Amendment's disqualification clause. The clause prevents office holders who have engaged in insurrection against the U.S. Constitution from holding office again. Clements said that on January 6, 2021, Mastriano crossed at least two police barriers and led his followers up the stairs to the Capitol building. He argues that this counts as participation in insurrection. And separately, a left-wing nonprofit called Free Speech for People is also challenging Mastriano for the same reason. In March, they urged acting secretary of the Commonwealth, Lee Chapman, who is a Democrat, to kick Mastriano off the ballot. The primary election in Pennsylvania is May 17th. It's unclear if Chapman has the authority to do that at this time. Mastriano responded to the lawsuit in an email to the Epic Times. He said that efforts by Clements and Free Speech for People were an attack on democracy and an attempt to interfere with the electoral process. He said he did not break any laws on January 6th and that he went to the Capitol to advocate for his constituents who had concerns about the conduct in the 2020 election. The Arkansas 2022 primaries are coming up in two weeks and early voting started on Monday. Here's an overview of the key races. Voters have began casting ballots this week in Arkansas's primary elections. 
On the Republican side, Trump's former White House press secretary, Sarah Sanders, holds the lead in the gubernatorial race with 72.5% support among likely voters. Her sole rival is former talk show host Francis Washburn with 16.5% support. On the Democratic side for governor, Chris Jones garnered the support of 59.5% of likely voters. None of the party's other candidates drew more than 5% support. Sanders is the daughter of former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee. She won former President Trump's endorsement shortly after announcing her candidacy early last year. For the Senate race, the survey shows incumbent Senator John Boozman leading in the Republican primary with 45% support from likely voters. He is followed by Jake Beckett at 19% and Jan Morgan at 16.5%. Boozman has been criticized for not fully siding with Trump after the January 6th Capitol breach, but he himself has obtained Trump's endorsement for the re-election bid, and he highlights that on his campaign page. Beckett was a former NFL player and Army officer. He positioned himself as more conservative than Boozman. This is Beckett's first run for public office. Morgan is a gun rights advocate and investigative journalist. She's running on a platform of protecting Second Amendment rights. If Boozman fails to secure a majority in the May 24th primary, he will face a runoff election against the runner-up on June 21st. Dr. Anthony Fauci is in the spotlight again. This time, it's over a potential conflict of interest. Fauci and other scientists received secret royalty payments to the tune of $350 million from pharmaceutical firms. The head of the National Institutes of Health says the payments do present an appearance of a conflict of interest. Dr. Lawrence Tabak took over as the agency's acting director in December 2021. He told the House Appropriations Committee that the payments are legal according to federal law, but he admitted they don't seem ethical. At the meeting, Congressman John Molinar said the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, has a credibility problem. People have always, in my district, been saying, well, you know, so-and-so has a, a financial interest in a certain, you know, they don't like ivermectin because they aren't benefiting from that royalty, or they don't like hydroxychloroquine. Now, you may have very sound scientific reasons for either recommending a medicine or not, but the idea that people have a financial benefit from certain research that's been done and grants that were awarded, that to me is the height of the appearance of a conflict of interest. The NIH director said in response that his agency doesn't endorse particular types of medicine. Here's what he told the committee. We support the science that validates whether an intervention is or is not efficacious. Uh, we don't say this is good and this is bad. I, I certainly can understand that it might seem as an appearance, but... Molinar, while pointing to Fauci, said it seems NIH leaders have labeled certain medicines as not good. Tabak said those kinds of statements are based on the clinical trials that the agency supports. But the congressman took issue with whether there are financial benefits involved if someone's patent is validated. The NIH director conceded there appears to be a conflict of interest. He went on to say that the agency could explain what firewalls are in place to prevent these types of conflicts. Tabak added that those firewalls are substantial. The Associated Press first brought the royalties issue into the headlines in 2005. At the time, Fauci said he donated the funds to charity. The issue faded away, but then it regained attention when a Freedom of Information Act request by a watchdog this year uncovered the secret payments to Fauci and other NIH scientists. An executive with COVID-19 vaccine maker Moderna has resigned from the company about one day after taking the job, but he walks away with a year's worth of salary. George Gomez will get 12 months pay, totaling about $700,000. His appointment was announced in April and came into effect on Monday. Moderna says 
its retired chief financial officer, David Moline, will continue in his place. According to Minerna, the announcement follows the public disclosure of an ongoing investigation by Gomez's former employer, Dentsply Sirona. The investigation is focused on the use of incentives to sell products to distributors and whether those were properly accounted for. Dentsply last month fired CEO Don Casey without disclosing a reason. A wildfire slept through drought-stricken Southern California on Wednesday night. Flames raised mansions in one of the state's most affluent neighborhoods. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has the latest. The blaze-dubbed coastal fire has scorched more than 200 acres in Aliso Woods Canyon, forcing mandatory evacuations in the Laguna Niguel neighborhood. Videos on social media captured the flames engulfing multi-million dollar homes, turning the town's sky into an apocalyptic hue of orange. Helicopters are still dropping water through the smoke. The Orange County Fire Authority said about 20 homes were set ablaze, and the number could rise. So far, no injuries have been reported. According to Orange County Sheriff Scott Steinley, the fire was relatively small in the afternoon, but then spread rapidly, aided by the sea breeze and the dense undergrowth on the hillside. Orange County authorities said evacuations were ordered for about 100 homes. There were no other major fires in Southern California, enabling firefighters from the area to concentrate their resources. But meanwhile, the Hermit's Peak Fire, one of the largest wildfires in the United States, is still spreading in northern New Mexico. It's the second largest fire on record in the state, as wind-blown flames roar close to the mountain resort. More than 230,000 acres were burned, an area larger than all five boroughs of New York City. Officials have issued another set of warnings for more people to evacuate. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Coming up, parents across the U.S. continue to struggle to find baby formula because of supply disruptions and a massive safety recall by manufacturer Abbott. And as water levels in Lake Mead continue to drop, decomposed bodies have washed up on shore, giving rise to speculation by historians about mob-related murders. We'll have all that and more for you in just a minute. Certain Instagram filters are now disabled for users in Texas. It comes after the state's attorney general filed a lawsuit against Meta, which owns Instagram and Facebook, citing the company's alleged misuse of facial recognition technology. The lawsuit says filters using facial geometry break Texas's facial recognition laws. The technology reportedly learns a user's face and can automatically tag or associate a person with an image without their consent. Filters that only change the image, color, or background are still usable. The filters are also banned in Illinois. In April, the company settled a class action lawsuit for nearly one and a half million users. No settlement or decision has been made in Texas. Florida's attorney general has issued a new emergency order. It makes it a felony to possess, sell, manufacture, or deliver drugs in the class called nitazines. The move by the state's AG is a response to the increased appearance of these synthetic drugs. One of them is up to 20 times deadlier than fentanyl. The nitazine, increasingly seen as a killer of Americans across the country, is commonly known as ISO. It first appeared in the country in 2019. There's no approved medical use for nitazines. The drug is most often encountered by law enforcement officers in its powder form. It's so lethal that it puts anyone near it at risk. While fentanyl can kill an adult if only two milligrams are consumed, ISO can be fatal if even smaller amount comes in contact with the skin or is inhaled. In Pasco County, Florida, officers carry an antidote they hope can reverse an overdose. The problem is, 
ISO is such a new threat that authorities aren't sure if Narcan can reverse an overdose. Parents in some parts of the U.S. are scrambling to find baby formula. It's happening because of supply disruptions and a massive safety recall by manufacturer Abbott. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. Baby formula is getting harder to come by in some places. Ongoing supply problems have intensified since manufacturer Abbott shuttered its largest U.S. formula plant. That was over contamination concerns. Depending on where people live, um, there have been um, severe stockouts um, of baby formula. Now, it's not widespread everywhere yet, but with that one big plant being shut down and not producing baby formula, we ha- are producing way less baby formula. Pediatricians are urging parents who can't find formula to contact food banks or doctor's offices. They warn against watering down formula to stretch supplies or using online do-it-yourself recipes. It's important to remember that um, for babies on formula, this is the only food option. There, there is no substitute. And um, I think um, we have to probably reevaluate um, what critical um, infrastructure really means. Major retail chains, including CVS and Walgreens, are limiting how many containers customers can purchase at one time to conserve supplies. We're keeping a strategic supply of uh, crude oil and petroleum, um, but we have critical strategic supplies of food items, maybe for formula. I think this uh, unfortunately shows that we were not necessarily expecting this to happen. Meanwhile, regulators with the Food and Drug Administration are looking at importing formula to boost U.S. supplies. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Growing numbers of extremely premature infants are getting life-saving treatment and surviving. And over the last half century, medical science has slowly shifted the boundary of viability, meaning a chance at life for younger and younger babies. Here's more. Curtis Means was born so early that he was small enough to fit into his doctor's hand. His mother, Michelle Butler, was only halfway through her pregnancy when she went into labor. Curtis Means is unique because he was the first uh, baby at his age, his gestational age, that survived. So at 21 weeks and one day uh, made him the earliest surviving uh, premature infant. And against the odds, Curtis showed signs of improvement. You can say we're not going to do any support for this baby because the, 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 the books say this baby won't survive. But if you lay a baby on the bed, warm them up some, and they show you their heart rate is going to be steady and they're doing good by the monitor, that's, that changes everything. Tragically, Curtis's twin Siege's vital organs were too premature. She died less than a day after she was born. Curtis was more stable than Siege. Siege, her heart kept on um, stopping. So they said that she was too premature to try to survive. And it was points of times where she didn't, she wasn't breathing for 19 minutes. The stark difference is one factor of the many uncertainties surrounding babies born at the edge of life. Viability became central to abortion law when the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade in 1973. 
viability line is, is certainly important in the United States with respect to abortion rights, but the reality is that most abortions occur in the first trimester. Viability is mentioned 36 times in the first draft of the leaked majority opinion in a Mississippi case. It's set to be decided by the Supreme Court in June. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Lake Mead's water levels have plunged to their lowest in history, leading to fears of water restrictions across multiple states. Here are the details. A massive reservoir stricken by drought in the Colorado River Basin is rapidly drying up. It means tens of millions of people across several U.S. states could face limits on their water. A shortage for Nevada, California, Arizona, and even across the border in Mexico. Nevada says it's taking action to ensure its supply. Patty Aaron is with the Bureau of Reclamation. We're in our 23rd year of drought in the Colorado River Basin. Um, both Lake Powell and Lake Mead have been declining rapidly uh, during the course of this drought, and Lake Mead is now at its lowest level since it filled. About 75% of the water goes to irrigation for agriculture that supplies about 60% of the food for the nation that's grown in the United States. The lake is filled from the Colorado River as snow melts from the mountains. In 1999, it was at 97% capacity. Now it sits at only 30% full. We depend on the snowpack and um, in circumstances like this where we have many years of drought, the soils are extremely dry. So even if we get a good snowpack, when it melts off, it's going to go into the soils and not run off into the river. So we need at least four years of consecutive good snowpack to start to recover. Water authorities responsible for Nevada's Las Vegas region have had to activate a $1.5 billion insurance policy, including building a new low-level pumping station. As water levels in Lake Mead continue to drop, there are unexpected consequences. Human remains were found in the newly exposed shoreline. Earlier this month, police found a barrel containing the decomposed body of an unidentified man. Here's more. Stories about long-departed Las Vegas organized crime figures are surfacing after a second set of unidentified human remains were revealed in drought-stricken Lake Mead. Earlier this month, a decomposed body of a man was found in a barrel. Former Las Vegas Mayor Oscar Goodman says it's likely that the crime was committed by criminals not affiliated with the mob. Ordinarily, the mob in those days, if they were going to kill somebody, uh, they took the person or they found the person outside of Nevada, outside of Las Vegas, because they did not want to bring attention to Las Vegas. The reservoir on the Colorado River is about a 30-minute drive from the mob-founded Las Vegas Strip. Lake Mead has dropped more than 170 feet since 1983 and is down to about 30% capacity. The corpse has not been identified, but Las Vegas police say he had been shot probably between the mid-1970s and early 1980s. That conclusion is based on the shoes that were found with him. The death is being investigated as a homicide. David Kohlmeyer is a former police officer who now co-hosts a Las Vegas podcast and TV show called The Problem Solver Show. He says that criminal activity could take place from anybody whatsoever. The three or four stories that I've heard recently with some tips that came in are from the average person where there was like a murder-suicide situation where maybe they left a car at Lake Mead and that was one of the bodies that was there. Maybe it was, it was gang-related, not mafia-related. 
He added that he also heard from families of missing people and about cases like a man suspected of killing his mother and brother in 1987, as well as a father from Utah who vanished in the 1980s. Kohlmeyer offered a $5,000 reward last week for qualified divers to find barrels in the lake. About 5,000 workers at the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Las Vegas got a big surprise when their boss announced that they would all get $5,000 bonuses. President and CEO Bill McBeath went on stage to announce the winner of the Cosmopolitan Most Valuable Player Award. So I know that everybody wants to know who won this $5,000. So... Congratulations to every one of you. The employees erupted in cheers, clapping, and hugs as confetti filled the air. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. I, I feel elated just because the energy and the turnout, first and foremost, from a CoStar perspective, I couldn't even imagine anything better than what happened today. It's just so much excitement and just so much gratitude. Uh, it feels, I mean, if I could sum it up with one word, wow. Like for once I am, I'm speechless and I just feel so much, just so much gratitude. I feel so, so lucky and so blessed to, to be working here and to be a part of this. Blackstone, which owns the hotel resort, will be handing out a total of $27 million to show appreciation for all their hard work during the pandemic. The Trump Organization has sold the lease on the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C., the $375 million sale is to an investment firm that plans to rebrand the property as the Waldorf Astoria. The Trump Organization bought the rights to the hotel in 2013 and renovated it. The building itself is still owned by the federal government. Trump is projected to gain $100 million from the transaction. The Trump International Hotel served as a gathering point for Trump supporters and some foreign government officials during his time in the White House. During his presidency, the hotel became the focus of conflict of interest allegations against Trump and his family. Critics were concerned that outside entities tried to curry favor with Trump by booking stays and spending money at the hotel. Still to come in a Norwegian town 15 minutes from the Russian border, Norwegians, Russians and Ukrainians tried to coexist as Russia's war in Ukraine continues. And a Ukraine expert gives analysis on what a prolonged war in Ukraine would mean for Americans. Stay tuned for more after the short break. Finns today welcomed their country's decision to apply to join NATO without delay. Finland's president and prime minister said in a joint statement they hoped the steps still needed for a decision would be taken in the next few days. Neighbor Sweden is expected to follow suit. The two Nordic countries have maintained neutrality throughout the Cold War. The decision to join NATO would be one of the biggest shifts in European security in decades. It was brought by Russia's invasion of Ukraine as well as security concerns. Moscow has repeatedly warned Finland and Sweden against joining NATO, threatening serious military and political consequences. Political parties that had backed neutrality for generations are now coming to embrace the view that Russia is a menace. The Norwegian town of Kirkenes was a symbol of cross-border harmony with Russia and the Arctic for over three decades. 
Now people are adapting to new realities since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Kirkenes residents can cross into Russia with a visa-free permit while Russians can come and work in the area. Out of the town's 3,500 residents, 400 are Russians. There are also about 30 Ukrainians. Our community consists of many Russians and also Ukrainians, so of course it's been tough for many. We have lived in peace for many years, and now our neighbor is going to war with one of its neighbors. Of course, it has affected us all. From Kirkenes, the Russian border is a 15-minute drive away, while Finland's is 50 minutes away. Street signs in both Norwegian and Russian were put up decades ago to welcome Russians, and Russian residents said they still felt as welcome as before the invasion. I have had no problems. No one has come up to me and said, hey, you Russian, no problems. Similarly, a Ukrainian refugee said the Russians she had met had been cordial. We uh, met uh, some Russians here, and uh, they are quite normal people. Uh, they don't, uh, they, are, uh, they are not aggressive, and uh, we are trying not to uh, speak about politics and such uh, pro provocative uh, questions. The Kimek shipyard made 70% of its revenue from fitting Russian vessels last year. CEO Grecker Mansverk says he worries about restructuring the business without losing his 80 employees, 15 of whom are Russians. I'm not planning for the future without the Russian vessels, but I'm planning for the future where we have, where the Russian clients are not the, the, the major ones. That is important. So I still hope that we, the, 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 the turnover from the Russian side will be the same. While non-EU Norway has applied most international sanctions, it has not shut its ports to Russian fishing vessels, a lifeline for the ports of Arctic Norway like Kirkenes. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Britain's defense secretary told reporters in Washington that President Putin's war on Ukraine has failed, and he said Russia will emerge from the war as a lesser power. This comes on the heels of Putin using his country's Victory Day speech to justify the war, pointing to new so-called Nazi threats in Ukraine. We hear some analysis from a Ukrainian now living in the U.S. who has connections with people in his homeland. He's also the founder of a Nevada management consulting firm. Please welcome Yuri Vanatek, who's a managing partner at Vanatek International. Thanks for coming on the show, Yuri. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, the top intel official in the U.S. says President Putin is ready for a prolonged war in Ukraine. Do you agree with this stance and why? I do. I believe that Moscow, that, you know, the Kremlin, I believe that they're determined. Uh, they need to save face. And uh, their position is such that uh, if, if they don't, it could, it could challenge their, um, their authority and the respect that they're getting from their people. You know, a lot of things are propaganda-driven. And by virtue of all of this, they really don't have much of a ramp off. Ergo, they'll keep going. And what are the implications of a prolonged war in terms of U.S. inflation and as well as taxpayer money being used as aid to Ukraine? Well, uh, certainly, uh, you know, gas is, is going up and is going to go up. Uh, I think it's going to have, um, inf we're going to see inflation uh, escalate. At the same time, the security sector, you know, the proverbial Lockheed Martins of the world, the Raytheons, are going to rally. They're going to do better uh, because during war, you know, certain industries uh, are called upon and uh, certain industries mobilize. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's having global impact. This is not just a war between two countries. This is, uh, you know, in many ways, an existential war 
with dictatorships, and it's an existential war for Ukraine. Now, according to the Washington Post, a diplomatic path to ending the war is unlikely as both Russia and Ukraine have confidence on the battlefield. What do you expect to happen now that Russia has apparently retreated from Kyiv and gained ground in the Donbass region? I, I suspect that Ukraine will keep gaining ground. Ukrainian troops are formidable. They're great at guerrilla warfare. The Russians have proven to be ill-prepared, confused. At the same time, you know, they obviously the Russians have rockets and they're continue to target uh, both civilians and uh, strategic targets in Ukraine. Uh, but I believe that Kiev will remain free and I believe that Ukrainians will continue driving the Russians out. Uh, but it will, you know, it will not end quickly. Has there been any barbarity on the side of the Russians during this war? And if so, what does that mean for Ukrainians and neighboring countries going forward? Uh, there has been unequivocally, and I, I, based on open source and based on my friends on the ground in Ukraine, and I have quite a few good contacts there and friends, uh, some of the, uh, the war crimes have been deliberate. Uh, for example, civilian targets, hospitals, schools, uh, you know, the murders. At the same time, some uh, have been just a function of the, the, the essence of war is barbarity. And what you have is you have angry, desperate people. Um, you have incredible hatred and anger now, you know, on both sides, but, you know, it's justified in many ways uh, from from the Ukrainian side. I think what it does is it will um, disrupt social solidarity in the West and uh, all over the world because, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to prove that there shouldn't be barbarity in the 21st century, and yet we're seeing it. So it's, it's profoundly disruptive. You're Vanatech, Vanatech International. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Rafael Nadal says that it is his and the rest of the ATP Player Council's job to defend Russian and Belarusian players who have been banned from this year's Wimbledon. There are some private conversations on the council about this kind of stuff, something that I honestly I think it's, it's not good to go public. Uh, the only thing that we can do is be in touch with, the, with Wimbledon and with the rest of the ATP management to, to do the things that uh, works better to protect every single player in, in the ATP. That's at the end, that's our job, to, to protect the players and to work uh, in the in the, in the benefit of every single player that uh, we are representing. The All England Lawn Tennis Club barred players from the two countries from competing at this year's Wimbledon in response to the war in Ukraine. Belarus has been a key staging area for Russia in the war. The Players' Council has asked for the tournament's ranking points to be stripped. That was what Nadal was referring to when he made the statement. The tennis organization's decision has been condemned by both the men's and women's tours, as well as several other players. The world number one Novak Djokovic also criticized the ban. He said recently that he had spoken to Russian players and said it was tough for them to be excluded from the tournament. For the first time, North Korea has publicly admitted a COVID-19 infection, calling it a gravest national emergency. A nationwide lockdown is now in place. All that and more coming up on NTD News. North Korea has confirmed its first COVID-19 outbreak today, calling it the gravest national emergency and ordering a national lockdown. State media reported an Omicron variant was found in Pyongyang.
This is actually the first public admission of a COVID infection in North Korea that, coming more than two years after the first cases in neighbours South Korea and China, highlights the potential for a major crisis in a country that has refused international help with vaccinations and kept its borders shut. As of March, no cases of COVID had been reported according to the WHO and there is no official record of any North Koreans having been vaccinated. Officials in South Korea and the US have doubted that the North is COVID-free, as Omicron was widely reported in both China and South Korea next door. The isolated North has enforced strict quarantine measures, including border lockdowns since the pandemic began. South Korea's presidential office told Reuters that new leader Yoon Suk-yul, who was sworn in just days ago, will not link humanitarian aid to the political situation between the Koreas, opening the door to providing support to the North. Philippines election winner Ferdinand Marcos Jr. says he wants to hit the ground running as president, while those who suffered under martial law during his father's regime say they are dismayed by the election results. In a politically divided country, a crowd of supporters surrounded newly elected president of the Philippines, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., as he made his way into his campaign headquarters in Manila on Wednesday. Marcos, the son of the late dictator who ruled for 20 years before he was toppled in a 1986 uprising and fled Manila, received some 31 million votes in Monday's election. Intention is to hit the ground running. But many Filipinos are appalled by the election results. Thousands of opponents of the senior Marcos suffered persecution during a brutal 1972 to 1981 era of martial law. 70-year-old Felix Dalize was one of them. For us martial law victims who were tortured and imprisoned during the time of martial law of the Marcos dictatorship, we feel absolutely dismayed with what will happen when the Marcoses are put back in Malacanang. Billions of dollars of state wealth disappeared when Marcos Sr. ruled. But Marcos and his family have often said that their vast fortune was legitimately obtained. On the campaign trail, Marcos Jr. dismissed criticism about how the family obtained its wealth as fake news. In a video statement, Marcos, known as Bong Bong, said he was looking very carefully at candidates for his economic team and that his first nominee for his cabinet was Sarah Duterte Carpio, the daughter of incumbent President Rodrigo Duterte. Duterte Carpio helped get Marcos elected by agreeing to be his vice presidential running mate, allowing the son of the late dictator to tap her father's huge support to seal a comeback for the disgraced Marcos dynasty. Her appointment also complicates efforts to put her father on trial for thousands of killings in his war on drugs, as the International Criminal Court looks to investigate Duterte over the alleged execution-style killings. Marcos Jr. is set to begin a six-year term as president at the end of June. Still to come, shooting begins for Nickelodeon's new live-action movie, Fantasy Football. The actors were on hand to discuss the movie. And concerts are back this summer, but reactions from music fans are mixed on whether they plan to return to in-person venues for concerts. All that and more right here on NTD News.
Scientists today provided the first look at the monster lurking at the center of our Milky Way galaxy, unveiling an image of a supermassive black hole that devours any matter wandering within its gravitational pull. The first direct image of the gentle giant in the center of our galaxy, Sagittarius A star. The black hole, called Sagittarius A star, is only the second ever to be imaged. The feat was accomplished by the same international collaboration that in 2019 unveiled the first ever photo of a black hole, that one residing at the heart of a different galaxy. Sagittarius A star possesses 4 million times the mass of our sun. It is located about 26,000 light years away. The Milky Way is a spiral galaxy that contains at least 100 billion stars. Viewed from above or below, it resembles a spinning pinwheel. Our sun is situated on one of the spiral arms, and Sagittarius A star is located at the center. Today's announcement was made in simultaneous news conferences in the United States, Germany, China, Mexico, Chile, Japan, and Taiwan. Nickelodeon and Awesomeness films will connect kids to football through a live-action movie. Various lead actors were on hand to discuss the movie as its filming is now underway. Here's more. The 90-minute film Fantasy Football holds a surprise for kids who love the sport. The star cast of Nickelodeon's new live-action movie was on set. Why should people see Fantasy Football? Because it is heartfelt, it is funny, it is all about football for the uh, NFL fans out there. In partnership with the Spring Hill Company and Genius Entertainment, the film began shooting this month in Atlanta, Georgia. Young actress Marcy Martin stars as the female lead, Callie Coleman. In the movie, the 15-year-old girl realizes she can control her pro football player father's performance on the gridiron using a video game called EA Sports Madden NFL. NFL Films and EA Sports have signed on to provide expertise for the film's production. It all came at the perfect time because I've always wanted to do a father-daughter film and also just have a, an, a, a beautiful tie-in when it comes to family and it being in the fantasy aspect, yet being so realistic at the same time, it's just, it's, it's so fun. Omari Hardwick plays the father, Bobby Coleman, and Bobby's arch rival is played by Emmy award-winning actor, Rome Flynn. When I saw fantasy and that element, and I thought, oh, this could be interesting if we can actually pull it off and suspend disbelief enough to not have people walking away looking at this football movie with all these fantastical realms and elements to it and it not be hokey. There's a funny scene in the movie where he's going through these different changes and he's trying to hide from me because uh, Marseille's character is controlling him and different hair and different everything. So it's just really funny. And so I think during that whole process, we, it took like three days to film that scene. The film is directed by NAACP Image Award winner and Emmy Award nominee Anton Cropper. The writers are Emmy Award winning Dan Gorowicz and David Young based on an original screenplay. The film will debut exclusively on Paramount Plus later this year. Music lovers are flocking to concerts in record numbers in 2022. Ticket website StubHub has seen a 25% increase in sales this year compared to 2019. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. On Los Angeles's Hollywood Boulevard, reactions from music fans were mixed on whether they would return to concerts. 
think a lot of us are, t are just over the whole thing with COVID now. Not, not all of us uh, are going to concerts these days, if you ask me. There's very few people that don't seem to be wanting to go. Some weren't as ready to go back to live shows. No, we actually haven't been to any concerts due to COVID. We have a little one here, so we're trying to keep him safe. And um, so COVID is the main reason why we haven't been to any shows or Broadway or any of that um, as of yet. <laughs> we're just getting out. Others are just trying to find their groove again. Uh, I, I don't think I've been put off by COVID, but I got out of the habit of it when everything was shut down and I stopped going and it's been kind of hard to get back into, you know, paying a lot of money for a ticket and getting a day off of work and all that. But live music enthusiasts like Michelle Rivas are more than ready. Yes, definitely I would go. I have been going. Um, I went to see the artist Coffee recently in D.C. I've seen Brad Bunny already during the pandemic. Um, I've gone to a couple of music festivals as well. Um, I'm traveling here to L.A., so I would definitely go. Bands are back on the road, and concert goers are getting back out to see their favorite artists live, according to figures released on Tuesday by StubHub, which says it has seen a large increase in demand for tickets on its website. Yes, this summer uh, is certainly jam-packed, and there is just an abundance of, of tours. So really what we're seeing is, is kind of the uh, emergence of the live events industry on the concert side really coming together. Some of the biggest selling tickets on StubHub have been for Justin Bieber, Kenny Chesney, and Motley Crue's comeback tour with Def Leppard. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Cambodian fishermen on the Mekong River recently discovered a giant 13-foot-long stingray weighing almost 400 pounds in their nets. They contacted experts in the area for help. Zeb Hogan is a fish biologist at the University of Nevada. He was leading a team on a research expedition in a remote part of the river. He was notified of the discovery and assisted in releasing the fish. He says sightings of the freshwater stingray are rare and significant. The expedition team says the area faces devastating ecological effects. There are plans to build several hydropower dams in Cambodia's portion of the river, and other concerns include illegal overfishing as well as plastic waste. Hogan has been studying aquatic biodiversity in the Mekong River for over two decades. The week-long expedition by his team was to survey aquatic biodiversity. He says this one section of river provides food for Cambodia and Vietnam. Chilean scientists have recovered one of the world's most complete ichthyosaur fossils with intact embryos. It was found in the Tyndall Glacier in Chile's Patagonia region. The preserved and pregnant ancient marine reptile is a 12-foot-long fossil. The find will help scientists study embryonic development in ichthyosaurs. They are said to have roamed the seas between 90 and 250 million years ago. It's seen as an important find. It's the only pregnant ichthyosaur that's been found from the era between 129 and 139 million years ago. The fossil was discovered more than a decade ago. However, extreme climate conditions, harsh terrain and remoteness made the extraction a complex challenge. Because the fossil was so complete, paleontologists had to extract five blocks weighing 450 pounds to keep the bones intact. It is now being prepared for exhibition in the Rio Seco Natural History Museum in southern Chile. Authorities in Florida are hoping to identify and honor several people that sprang into action to help a driver that was suffering a medical emergency. It happened on May 5th in Boynton Beach. 
Video shows a group of people swarming a car that was rolling through an intersection. Together, they were able to get into the car and pull it to safety at a nearby gas station where the driver received medical attention. Police released video in the hopes of identifying all the strangers that aided the woman. They say they hope to bring them back together at the police department to recognize them and meet the woman they rescued. The driver later spoke about what happened. She said that she felt dizzy and tried to pull over to a gas station, but started to convulse before hitting a curb. She didn't wake up until the next day. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Music.